Welcome everybody to 3 Wide in the Middle. My name is Thomas Brennan. Thank you very much as always for joining me. And like I said, we got a couple of things that we're going to be talking about today. And really quick, before we get into that, let me apologize for missing last week. Um, my wife had surgery on her eyes. Um, she was obviously, she was not able to see or basically even open her eyes for a couple of days. And then we were also doing a remodel here at the house right now. Um, not to mention I run my business out of my house. And so because of that and everything that was going on, I just did not get a chance to, to record the pod. I just did. I just didn't have the time to do it. Um, I wish I had a, wish I had a better excuse than that, but I don't. Uh, so yeah, just missed it. But, you know, luckily we're back this week. Um, and we got a couple of things that we'll be talking about now next week. I'll actually be putting the pod up a couple of days early because I am going to be flying out to the world finals in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm going to be flying out there. I'm going to be staying with some friends in South Carolina, and then we're going to be going to the world finals, um, all week, I, all week long. I cannot wait. It's been, it's one of my bucket list events for my life to go see the, the world of outlaws world finals at Charlotte. Um, and I'm going to get to see the actual super dirt car series, which I've never seen in person before. Hell, I didn't even know those cars existed until <laughs> last year. So, um, really looking forward to it. So next week's pod while will be out early though. I'll be putting it out probably on Monday. So it'll be a couple days early, but let's get back to what we were, what I was talking about just a second ago. And the debate that was on NASCAR.com between Kyle Petty and Mamba Smith. So the question was, will Kyle Larson end up as NASCAR's greatest of all time? So first of all, that is a very loaded question. Okay. As a very, I mean, when you're asking, will Kyle Larson end up as NASCAR's greatest of all time? That is a question that really cannot be answered. And the reason why it cannot be answered is, is because you cannot tell me right now who is the current greatest of all time in NASCAR. The, the debate is wide open because there's so many different ways to look at it. We see this in every sport. Okay. We really do take the NBA, for example, if you ask any real basketball fan, not your average person, but anybody who actually follows NBA basketball, who the greatest of all time is, most people will say Michael Jordan. But that is, that is not, it's not 100% set in stone. There is a debate that can be made. You can look at it and you can say, well, actually, I think it's Bill Russell, right? He won almost double the amount of championships, right? He was the a player coach, not only a player, but a player coach, right? I mean, like, not only did he, you know, do all this winning and have all these great accomplishments and stuff, but he did it in the era where, you know, black people were literally held down and he was dealing with, you know, constant races. I mean, you know, you can make this huge argument as to why Bill Russell is better than Michael Jordan. Or you could say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? He was a far better scorer. He was the most dominating player to ever step foot on the court. Right? So there's an argument that can be made, and it all depends on how you are scoring that argument. And take the NFL. There are people out there right now who will debate with you that Joe Montana is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Now, their debate usually is a dumb one, but it, it's there. Okay, I'm not saying they're right, but it's there. Most people say, well, Joe Montana was undefeated in the Super Bowl. Okay, so he went to four, he won four. And because Tom Brady went to 10 and lost only three of them, that makes Montana better because he has a higher win percentage. Like, that's pretty stupid, right? That would be like me going to somebody who has been cut from an NBA team, right? 
Like they, they just got out of college, they get drafted by an NBA team and then they get cut. And then I go up to them and I say, Hey man, I'm actually better at basketball than you. Cause I was never cut by an NBA team. They'd be like, no moron. You were never drafted. You, you never even had a shot. You're not better than me. No, no, no. I am because my record when it comes to being cut, pff, I've never been cut. You have, you have a losing record. You're 0 and 1 or I'm 0-0, right? Like that, that's a stupid argument, but the argument is made nonetheless. When we look at this, when it comes to the greatest of all time in NASCAR, you can't put a definitive answer on that now. Many people will tell you, okay, normally it's going to come down to, it's usually Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt. Those are the two names that you hear the most. For me, I, I'm an Earnhardt fan. I, I, I like Richard Petty too, but I'm an Earnhardt fan. I believe that the championships that he won, in my own opinion, when I was watching it and stuff like that, I think that they were a little bit harder to win than they were for Petty back in the day. That does not mean that Petty was not good. The man won 200 races. You cannot win 200 races and not be phenomenal. He was. But you're also talking post-modern era, right? The man drove a car that literally brought in the modern era. I mean, it was so good. They're like, man, we got to kind of change this. Okay. We, we can't, can't have these manufacturers building these, you know, building these bullets with wings and, and calling them, calling them, you know, factory cars. And then this guy just got on smashing everybody, right? Like it, like that was part of the reason the modern era was ushered in. Now, does that take anything away from Richard Petty? No, God, no. The man was incredible, right? Do I think Richard Petty in his prime could step into a NASCAR today and win races? Absolutely right? Because he's got that ability. He has that talent. He has that skill. When you look at Dale Earnhardt, could Dale Earnhardt race today? Yes, I think Dale Earnhardt could, right? You look at the other driver who's won seven championships, Jimmy Johnson. There's a lot of people who actually tell you that Jimmy Johnson, what he did was actually harder and more difficult than what Earnhardt and Petty did. But here's the thing. It's impossible to rank those against each other. It just is because they're different times or different eras. We see this, we see this in all sports. Okay. It's just a different era. So to make the argument at all, will Larson end up as NASCAR's greatest of all time? It's really a hard thing to even say. Now, that being said, let's say we can make the argument that Larson could end up the greatest of all time. First of all, Kyle Larson is having a phenomenal year. Make no mistake about it. Okay, what Larson has done just this season in NASCAR, most drivers will never have that as a career, right? If they, if you told a driver, hey, over your career, you're going to win, what does he want, nine races this year, 10 races, something insane like that? He's, there's been eight playoff races. He's won half of them. Okay, like it, it, that he's been dominant. Most drivers never win double digit races in NASCAR. Think about that, right? If you told a driver coming up that, Hey man, you're going to get a dozen wins over a 15 year career. Most drivers who actually know the statistics and know what, how hard it is to win. Most drivers would take that. They absolutely would. It's a difficult thing to do. So when you talk about getting up to an echelon of what we look at as some of the greatest of all time, where you're talking about the Earnhardt's right? The Daryl Waltrips, the David Pearsons, the, the Richard Petty's, the Jimmy Johnson's, the Jeff Gordon's. You're talking about, you know, 70 plus wins, 80 wins, 100, 200 wins, right? For Petty. 
That's a lot of wins in a sport where it's hard to win. Not only that, there's so many different variables. One of the reasons why Jimmy Johnson was able to do what he was able to do was because his team was insane. Take nothing away from Jimmy Johnson. The man could flat drive. I remember watching him running uh, stadium trucks on TV. Like the dude could drive anything. He, he, Jimmy Johnson, he doesn't. He's not known for this because he doesn't go out and do it. But Jimmy Johnson is one of those people you could put in just about anything and and he would go out and be good. He really can't. He's he's that kind of driver. Extremely talented driver. And he had Chad Canals, right, for that run. Look at what happened with Jeff Gordon. When Jeff Gordon won 95, 97, 98, right? When he when he had Everham, I remember arguing with my friends. Because they were like, Gordon's going to beat Earnhardt. And I was like, no, he's not. He's not going to beat Earnhardt. Now, I will be a little honest here. Part of me was saying that because I was an Earnhardt fan and I did not want to see the Rainbow Warrior beat the man in black, right? Like That was part of it. I was like, man, who is this guy, man? What the hell? Now, I like Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon is another phenomenal driver. But at the time, I was an Earnhardt fan. I didn't want to see this Rainbow Warrior keep winning championships. I was like, man, this is crap, right? Who's... Who's this guy showing up dethroning the Intimidator? The Intimidator is supposed to get number eight to be the greatest of all time. And then all of a sudden this, this punk kid shows up. Like that was my thinking. Granted, at the time I was like 13, like, <laughs> like I was some old wise man calling him a punk kid, but that, that was my thought process. But not only that, the argument also was based on there's so many variables when it comes to racing. There's so many variables. And back then the way that they raced for the championship, it was the entire season. It's not like it is now where you can have one or two very good weekends, win some races, and now you're in the playoff hunt. Now, yes, you got to put it together for those last, you know, those last stretch of races, but you don't have to be good and consistent the entire season. It was a different ball game back then, completely different. And Jeff Gordon and Ray Everham were dominating. Now, had Ray Everham not left and started Dodge, what could they have done? And I don't know. It's one of the great what-ifs of, of racing. It really is. To sit back and think what those two could have done together. Do I think they would have gotten to seven, potentially eight? I don't know. But I can tell you right now, the thought was there wasn't really any stopping them. Because they were on a roll of just unprecedented scale. I mean, it really was. I mean, Mark Martin had a year where he finished second place like nine times. And like eight of those nine times were to Jeff Gordon. Like Jeff Gordon won 13 races. Mark Martin finished second to him like nine times. Like it was, I mean, it was insane, right? Mark Martin's having this insane, phenomenal year would have won the championship had Jeff Gordon never been born, right? Like it was that kind of year. So Gordon was on the path to becoming one of the greats, if not the greatest. And it got pulled out from underneath him. Had you, been, had you been taking bets on whether or not Jeff Gordon would win over under four and a half NASCAR Cup championships, right? Back in 1998, you would have had a lot of people taking the over. A lot of people taking the over. So for us to look at Kyle Larson right now and bring up this question, it's a little absurd, right? And you're, gonna, you're not going to find too many people who are 
bigger fans of Kyle Larson's talent. I, I, I said it before. I think he, he is the greatest, most talented driver I've ever seen in person. I've, I, he really is. Like I've talked about before when me and Keith were talking about it, there's something you just watch and you're like, he, he's got something that nobody else has. And I don't know how to quantify it. Right? You can call it the it factor, whatever it is. But to, but to ask the question, will he end up as one of NASCAR's greatest of all times? I think, obviously, it's a little premature for that. Does he have the talent and ability for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But keep in mind, a couple seasons ago, Larson wasn't winning races like he is now. Now, he had won races with Ganassi, but it wasn't until he got into Hendrick that he started becoming dominant. Now, equipment, all that stuff, you know, team, engineers, all that stuff makes a huge difference in racing. It makes an absolute enormous difference. And when you're in the best equipment and you've got the best, you know, the, the most talent, well, that's a recipe for success and we're seeing it this year. But being able to sustain that is a totally different thing. It's one thing to climb to the top. It's another thing to stay on top. That's a completely different mindset. Can he do it? Absolutely. He has the ability, the skill, the the knowledge, the will, all that stuff, whatever you want to call it. He's got it. Will it happen? Only time will tell. Now, the answer, right, that Kyle Petty gave, I actually thought was kind of hilarious because according to Kyle Petty, and keep in mind, I really like Kyle Petty. I mean, obviously, I don't know him. He wouldn't know me if he tripped over me in the street. But he said his answer was that Larson's going to be a star. He'll be on like the Tony Stewart level, right? Like that kind of level. He's not going to be one of the greats, but he's going to be like one of the the big stars, the big time drivers, which I could see that does make a lot of sense. I think when it's all said and done, Kyle Larson might go down as the greatest all-around driver we've ever seen. I mean, right now he's already just in terms of talent, he's he's at that level. He really is. In terms of not only talent, but, you know, accomplishment and success, I think he can go down as the greatest all-around driver we've ever seen. Once again, only time will tell. But according to Petty, Petty said that William Byron, Larson's teammate, is actually the one that's going to be the next great. That was what Kyle Petty said. According to Kyle Petty, the Mount Rushmore for Hendrick Motorsports is going to be Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, and then William Byron, right? Not even, we're not even talking about Kyle Larson. Now, that's a bold statement. Now, as absurd as it is, as I think, to have the discussion whether or not Kyle Larson will be the greatest in NASCAR, I think it's even more absurd to think that William Byron is going to end up being greater than Kyle Larson. But here's the thing. Could he? Absolutely. Like I just said, there's so many variables. There's so many variables. And Byron is a very talented driver, extremely talented driver. He's got a lot of skill, a lot of talent. He's young. He's only like 22, 23 years old. And he's racing at Hendrick, right? Obviously, like that's, you know, when you're talking about the teams that you want to be on, there's, there's a handful of them, you know? When you're talking about teams that you can go out and win championships with. Hendrick is one of them, right? They're probably the 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 top of the 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 top of the mountain when it comes to that. But to think that Byron's going to be better than Larson, yeah, I might have to push back on that a little bit. <laughs> but once again, like I said before, only time will tell. 
All right, so before we dive into a couple of these championship battles, and on Monday when I do uh, the pod, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be getting more into the the world of outlaws, um, and even I'll cover some of the super dirt car series since I'm gonna be going and watching the the world finals. So I'm gonna be doing I'll be doing that on Monday, and we'll we'll have kind of a uh you know preview of the of the last week there of the of the racing and stuff like that, and then I'm hoping to actually get my man Keith back in here the following week so I can do a big wrap up with him on the on the dirt season and talk about what what we can expect to see going forward. But before we get into some of the USAC stuff here, I want to cover uh some news that came out. Now this came out actually a, about a week ago, maybe almost two weeks ago now. Um it has to have been two weeks ago because I was going to cover it last week and obviously we 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 didn't get a chance to. But NASCAR has unveiled their rules package for 2022 for the next gen car and this has been met with some mixed emotions and i gotta be honest man um i i was pretty disappointed when i saw this i really was and um i'll get into i'll get into why here in just a second but for 2022, basically NASCAR announced that they're going to be doing, um, they've got the rules package now. And so the way that this is going to work is, is for their intermediate package, which is all the mile and a half tracks. Okay. Now this will exclude Darlington and Nashville. And I don't know why they, they say 1.5 mile tracks and then they exclude Darlington and Nashville. Darlington and Nashville are not 1.5. They're like 1.2, but whatever. So anyways, um, this, so this excludes Darlington and Nashville. The cars will be running a V8 550 horsepower engine across the board with an 8-inch spoiler, okay? Now, to really put this into context, okay, the Xfinity and Truck Series run 650 to 700 horsepower engines across the board, all right? So that, you're talking about way less power. And this is, this is really, when we, when we, when we think about auto racing, okay, the way that the series have worked for all eternity is as you progress up the ladder, the cars get faster and more powerful because that makes them more difficult to drive. Okay. I mean, it's, it's really simple, right? I mean, even when I was running outlaw carts, you had the box stocks, which were five horsepower Briggs and Stratton's. Then you had the 125 class, which was a 125 cc two-stroke motorcycle engine. Now they run 250 cc four-stroke engines. And then you went up to the open class. And in the open class, everybody was running a 500 cc uh, two-stroke motorcycle engine, which was either a Honda or a Kawasaki. Like that, it progressed as you got better. You moved up, and you always moved up to something that was more powerful and faster period. Like that's just the way that it works. It doesn't matter what F1, right? Indie cars, whatever you want to do, whatever series you're talking about, it always is more powerful and faster as you move up. NASCAR is actually going the other way. So they're actually going, when you get to the top series, now you're going to be running a car that has less horsepower. And not only does it have less horsepower, but it's going to have a ton of downforce with an eight inch spoiler. That is a huge spoiler. It really is. Now, one of the things that really has me concerned about this, and the reason why is because of what I do for a living. So 
I am a professional sim racer. More, more specifically, I, I have basically a business that operates, it's like a cottage industry, okay? So I own the, I'm the founder of the School of Sim Racing, also the National Auto Racing Club and the Esports Racing Network, okay? So sim racing is what I do for a living. This is how I pay my bills. I spend my days sim racing testing, practicing, building setups, promoting, marketing, all that stuff. And it's all revolved around sim racing. One of the biggest series in all of sim racing, at least in the platform that I do it on, iRacing, is the NASCAR series. Okay, it's the Cup series. They just wrapped up, if you remember when I, uh, about a, a week ago, actually, I don't think I covered it, but the 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 e NASCAR series, which is sponsored by Coca Cola, just wrapped up. Keegan Lee he won the championship. All right, the season long purse was three hundred and forty thousand dollars. Dude brought home six figures for winning the championship in the e NASCAR series. It's a big deal. Okay, like it's a really big deal. These cars on the sim platform are no joke. This is not some arcade game. Okay, this is a they're they're very especially on the asphalt side right like those of you who've been on the dirt side on the sim you can sit there and talk about how it's not very realistic but on the asphalt side they've really got things pretty dialed in especially when you talk about the tracks and the cup stuff you go listen to someone like dale earnhardt jr he'll tell you he's like look i play i racing all the time i'm on the sim all the time i've raced these tracks and these carts in real life they are very accurate like he will tell you that right he's talked about how there are NASCAR teams right now working with the, the programmers and creators at iRacing with the next gen car to really get them as accurate and as realistic as possible. The first time that I drove that car, I was like, man, on a mile and a half track, I was like, man, this thing kind of sucks. You're wide open, right? Now, granted, like I said, that's a sim, but really think about what they were doing just this last year, this current season with the Gen 6 car, which had more power, right? But you look at the tracks when they go to places like Vegas or Kansas, right? These mile and a half tracks where they're almost flat out around the track. And now you're going to be taking even more horsepower away from them and giving them an eight inch spoiler. Not to mention these cars now have a rear diffuser. And a rear diffuser can create a ton of downforce. A lot of people, when you look at an F1 car, people think they're like, oh man, those wings, and it gives them all kinds of spoiler, gives them all kinds of downforce. Actually, the bulk of the downforce comes from the rear diffuser. It does. The rear diffuser can generate a ton of downforce. And so now you're putting a rear diffuser on these cars and you've got an eight inch spoiler right, with the air dam up front, and then you're taking them down to 550 horsepower. What I think you're going to see is you're going to see Daytona slash Talladega style pack racing at just about every mile and a half track now or bigger. I really think that's what you're going to see now. Now, obviously, the tire package will also play a role in that. So the tires that Goodyear brings to the track every week will definitely have an effect on that. If the tires don't have the grip required to be able to corner at those speeds, you're going to have to see people letting off and stuff like that. But then again, do we really want to see that? 
right? Why give these cars all this downforce and stuff if you're then going to put a crap tire on it that makes them slow down to 120 miles to take a, 120 miles an hour to take a corner when they used to take it at 140 or 150, right? Like, do we really want to see that? Most people probably know. Now, the intermediate package, in my opinion, that like that should, if you put that package at Daytona and Talladega, right? Like, put it there. Okay, if if you want to see that, put that there. But I personally think they should use the the short track in the road course package. That should be the package everywhere. Now that for the short track and the road course, what they're doing is is they're going to do 670 horsepower with a four inch spoiler. Now that's pretty close to what they've been running now, but I would actually like to see them have more horsepower. If you're going to give these cars that much downforce, man, put, give them 800 horsepower. Let them have some horsepower. When was the last time you saw a car spin out in qualifying, right? Like I remember watching qualifying when I was a kid, right? So we're talking, you know, early, you know, late eighties, early nineties. I remember watching qualifying when I was a kid right? When they would show it. Okay. It wasn't something that was always on, or you would see the highlights of qualifying before the race on Sunday, because they would say, you know, for example, you know, Ricky Craven starting at the back of the pack. Cause he had to get a backup car. Cause he wrecked in qualifying. Right. And do he just, you know, a driver just spin out by themselves sailing off into turn one at Atlanta. Right. Cause they're going 200 miles an hour and they just lost control of it because the 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 threat of that was there. Now, look, I'm not saying I want people wrecking all the time and qualifying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is the threat of it should be there. NASCAR has done a lot of good things trying to get back on the path that they were that they were on decades ago, back when it you know made it such a popular sport. They really lost their way. They're making valiant efforts to get back on track, and I applaud them for that, and I think they've done a great job in a lot of places. I think this is not the right path. Now, look, obviously, when it comes to knowing what should be done or shouldn't be done, I am someone behind a microphone. I <laughs> obviously nobody that NASCAR is going to be listening to. But I'm really hoping... I'm really hoping that they know what they're doing with this. Because I got to tell you, although I'm open to it and I'll, I'm, I'm willing to give anything a chance, I have some serious doubts and concerns when it comes to these rule packages for next season. All right, so this last week we had the F1 series. F1 was at Coda and... Max Verstappen got the win, holding off Lewis Hamilton there at the end. That was actually a really, really good race, man. Um, I, I really enjoyed that one. And Verstappen is now 12 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Now, they've got a few weeks left in the F1 series, so it, it's going to come down to the wire, I think. I do think Verstappen's going to win the championship. Obviously, I could be wrong, um, but they've still got a ways. They still got a little ways to go on the F1 front. Uh, where I really want to talk about what I really want to talk about here this last little bit here to close out the show is what we got going on in the USAC series because 
Right now in the USAC sprint cars and in the midgets, we have some points battles going on that are just incredible. We really do. In the in the USAC sprint car series, Brady Bacon right now has a, just a 64-point advantage over Kevin Thomas Jr. Okay, and in fact, if you actually look at it, he's 60 point, 64 points ahead of Kevin Thomas Jr., and he's only 140 points ahead of Justin Grant. Um, it, it a, a, when you consider how many races these guys run, that's a pretty tight battle coming down to the to the end here. Now they've got just four. How was it four or five? Five races left. So they've got Paris Auto Speedway coming up um, this next week, November fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then they're going to Arizona Speedway for the twelfth and the thirteenth, and that's going to wrap up the the season. Um, so five races left. And if you look at, you know, what Kevin Thomas Jr. has done, I mean, he's been on a run. He really has. He's he's been coming strong. He's won two, what is it, two races? Yeah, two out of the last four races that they've ran, because there's been a couple that were rained out. He's won. Um, he's won what, three or four since August. Okay. And Brady Bacon hasn't scored a win since, what is it, August 1st? No, July, July 30th. So Kevin Thomas Jr. has been been on a run. He's definitely making a charge for it. Now, it's going to be interesting to see because obviously it's not like, you know, Bacon, it's not like he's been, you know, win it or wear it. Like if he doesn't get the win, he finishes last. I mean, obviously he's been pulling good finishes because he's still leading the points. But it's been... A really strong few weeks by Kevin Thomas Jr. It's going to be interesting to see if he can actually pull this off or if Bacon can hold on for the win. Um, now, and Paris is one of those tracks. I I actually really like Paris. Um, I've been there before for races uh, back when we were running USAC Western States, and it was it's a really really cool track. I really like it. It's like a half mile. It's a fast track. And, uh, you know, we actually went and watched, um, well, we didn't watch, we were running the midgets there. I did watch a sprint car race or a wing sprint car race there. Um, I wasn't working on the, on a team. Then we just went and watched, but it's a really, really cool track. So it'll be interesting to see how Paris, uh, plays out this next week, because I actually think that Paris is probably going to be the deciding, the deciding track. What happens those three nights is going to determine who wins the championship. Now, obviously, anything can happen at the end, right? If you have bad luck and you wreck the last two races or something, anything can happen. But I think Paris is going to be the deciding factor for um, the the championship. Now, who's going to win it, Thomas or Bacon? I'm actually thinking Kevin Thomas Jr. is going to pull it off. That's that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Kevin Thomas Jr. is going to pull it off. Like I said, he's 64 points back right now. He's been on a roll over these last few weeks. I mean, obviously, to be second in points, you, you're you doing something right, period. But over the last few weeks, he's been on a roll. And he just got the win at Lawrenceburg, you know, uh, a week or two ago. So, I mean, definitely, definitely someone to keep an eye on. Now, on the midget side, we have an even tighter points battle because Chris Wyndham right now has only got a 13-point lead over Buddy Kofoy. And then behind them, which is, he's only 150 points behind him, 155, I think, 100, or 156, excuse me, is Emerson Axum. Now, 
the midget series has actually got quite a few more races than the sprint car series. So they just ran at Tri-State, uh, Hopstout, Indiana. Mesrol got the win there, but that was about two weeks ago. But they've got Arizona Speedway coming up. They're actually doing their west their western swing right now. So they're going to be in Arizona on the 12th and the 13th. Then they're going to be up by me. Um, I'm going to actually try to go and watch them in Placerville. Uh, they're going to be at Bakersfield. Then they got Placerville three nights and Merced two nights. And then they wrap it up at Ventura. Now they're running Southern Illinois Center on the 18th, but that is a special event. There's no points or anything like that. So it's going to be Ventura. That uh, should be the final points race. Now, on the midget side of things, I really like Win- Wyndham. And I, I think Wyndham is going to pull it out. Now, as good as a run as Kevin Thomas Jr.'s had on the sprint car side, Chris Wyndham has been on fire on the midget side. So Wyndham has actually won three out of the last four races, three out of the last five races that they've ran. Keep in mind, they've had some, they've had, they've had a couple of rainouts. Gas City got rained out and Wayne County Speedway got rained out. So Wyndham's been doing really, really good. Now, over the last few weeks, there's only been three winners. It's, it's been Meserol, Wyndham, and Courtney. So they've ran seven races, and it's, it's one of those three guys have been the winners. So we, someone other than those three hasn't won since September 5th, and that was when Tanner Thorson did. Now, Wyndham's competitor, his challenger, Kofoid, Kofoid's been running solid, but Kofoid hasn't had a win in quite a while. So Kofoid, his last win. No, that can't be right. Is that right? I, did I write that down correctly? Hold on, I gotta double check that. Did I write the wrong date on my notes here? Uh, no, apparently I didn't. In June 11th. Oh wow, man! I thought I, I thought I wrote something down wrong. I thought he, I thought he won in July. No, so June 11th was Kofoid's last win in the USAC Midget Series. Yep, June 11th at Gas City was his last win. Wow, man, I, I thought I wrote I thought I wrote the wrong date down. Guess not. So yeah, so Wyndham has been doing what needs to get done and, you know, he's holding on. Obviously, Kofoid is still within striking distance. He's only 13 points behind, right? I mean, all you need is to have a, a win, right? And, you know, Kofoid wins the race and Wyndham finishes, you know, out of the top five, and now it's a completely different ball game. But Wyndham's been doing really, really good. I actually think Wyndham's going to pull it off. I think Wyndham's going to win the championship this season. Um, they'll, you know, Wyndham and Kevin Thomas Jr. You know, looking at the way things are shaping out right now, those are actually my two picks to pull off the the USAC championships in the sprints and in the dirt midgets. And lastly, before I forget, just because I. I, uh, huh. I was going to cover this last week, but like I said, we forgot, didn't forget, just didn't get to the pod. Um, in the USAC Silver Crown, Cody Swanson, he got the win at, uh, what was it, Toledo. Got the win at Toledo, and then also that wrapped up the championship for him. So Cody Swanson got the championship, uh, capped it off with the win in the final race of the season, and he is your USAC Silver Crown winner so congrats to him awesome season he won he won like half the half the races this year in the silver crown 
Um, I mean, obviously Silver Crown does not run as many races as the other series, but he won, you know, four or five of them. I mean, he just had a, just an awesome, awesome year. So congrats to Cody Swanson for pulling off the Silver Crown championship win. All right, so it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, Ask Tommy. That's right, the Ask Tommy segment of the show where I give you my sage advice on anything that you need help with. Most of the time, it's something racing. But today's question, we only had one question. Um, Well, we had two, but the other one, I I didn't really understand it. I got to be honest with you. (laughs) And uh, whoever sent that... Uh, yeah, I just, I'm not really understanding what you're asking me, but anyways, if you want to email the show and ask me a question on literally anything, it's at, it's a Tommy Brandon 30. It's excuse me. Ask Tommy 35 at gmail.com. The other one, that's my regular ask Tommy T O M M Y 35 at gmail.com. Um, this one is actually pretty interesting, uh, because this is something that he asked about something that I used to do a long time ago. And they said, Tommy, I've heard you made mention, so he must be somebody who watches my live streams. Uh, so I'm not going to say his name because of that. I don't know if he wants me to share his name uh, because I've talked about this stuff during my live streams when I'm sim racing. So anyway, so Tommy, I've heard you made mention of of your trading during. Uh, why am I having? I've heard you made mention of your trading during your live streams. I have a question for you regarding the markets. I'm looking to get involved in the markets, but I'm not sure what I should do. With so many different things out there, it's easy for someone to get confused. And I'm wondering if I should just put my money in with some broker and then wait for it to go up. Is that it? Yeah, wait for it to go up. Uh, Please let me know what you think of this or if there is a better path. Thank you for everything. All right, so this... This is something, this is a topic, obviously this is not racing, but this is a topic that um, a lot of people struggle with. Look, I struggled with it. The only reason I know about the markets is because I spent years learning it, years learning it. I mean, I took training courses on how to trade and invest the markets. And the thing that you need to understand about the markets or about money in general, and it's, it's really, it's really a shame here in this country and basically in society as a whole that we don't teach stuff like this in school. Like I didn't learn this stuff in school, right? Like this is stuff that should be taught in, in, in your high school, but it's not, you got to go to college and do like high finance and stuff like this to even learn kind of the basics in terms of how to manage money and how to grow and accrue wealth. Right? So it's really a basic principle to be, to, to grow wealth. And the first thing you have to understand about, about wealth is, is that wealth is a measure. It's not a measurement of money. It's a measurement of time. So when we talk about growing your wealth, you're talking about how long could, if your income was stopped today, how long could you sustain your current standard of living without any more money coming in? That time period, that is basically a measurement of wealth, right? So for example, you look at someone like, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos could not make another dollar. The man could live a thousand lifetimes, right? And not have to penny pinch or, you know what I mean? Like he, he's fine, right? Like that's, that's the extreme end of the wealth spectrum. Most people can't make it 
30 days, right? If you look at like the average household, stuff like that, I think it's something like 30 days back when I was doing, um, you know, financial consulting and stuff like that. It was something like 30, like it was, it was, it's, it's a very short period of time. Most people don't have $5,000 on hand for an emergency. All right. And so this is largely due to the fact that it's not that, it's not that people are, are bad with money or horrible with money or they, they're dumb or it's, it's, it's most people just don't, they've never been taught. Right. And so your question, right, asking about this and, and not knowing, the first thing you have to understand is, is that you're not alone. The vast majority of people are in the same situation. They really are. Um, I, like I said, I know I was for a very long period of time. And when it comes to investing, dude, it's really, really simple. Now, understand trading and investing are two different things. Investing, you're buying value. So essentially what you're doing is, is you're looking at something, you're saying, hey, I think that this is a good deal and it will increase in value over time. Therefore, I'm going to buy it now. I'll give you an example of this. Market goes down and Apple drops, you know, by 50%. Okay. We, and, and let's just say it drops for no other reason than, you know, the market's panicking, right? Some bad news came out. It has nothing to do with Apple, but everyone's freaking out because that's what people do. They are predictably irrational and um, the market drops and it takes Apple down with it, right? So that right there would be a an investment. You would look at and you'd say, look, Apple, we know it's a good company. They have more cash on hand than the federal government of the United States. This is probably going to go back up. And right now I can get it on the cheap. So I'm going to invest in Apple. Okay. And so you buy your stock and then you sit back. You just don't, you don't mess with it, right? Like that would be investing in a stock or a company by buying equities. You can also do things like index funds. You know, there's all, dude, there's so many different investment vehicles out there. You're right. It's very simple and easy to get lost. The best way that this was explained to me was explained by my mentor when I was learning how to trade. He said, look, you want to become wealthy. Here's what you do. Spend less money than you make, save and invest the rest in industries or things that you understand. And that could be businesses, the financial markets, right? Or certain sectors of markets, precious metals, right? There's a bunch of different things that it could be. But if we're talking about the markets, right? Make it in industries or sectors that you understand. If you don't understand them or you don't want to take the time to understand them, the best thing that you can do, bar none, is invest in a low-cost S&P 500 index fund. It really is. The numbers are insane. If you just look at what those low-cost S&P 500 index funds have done, it's crazy. Go look at the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund over the last like 20 years, it, it, what the returns that they've gotten on it is nuts. And the fees are super low. Now, if you have somebody who's trying to sell you on all these insane mutual funds, all this stuff like this, I'm going to let you know right now, a lot of that is crap. Most people don't beat the market, especially these big hedge traders, these big investment funds. They're not out just smashing the market. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a shrewd marketing gimmick that they use. It's crap. They use average returns and stuff like that. And average returns are, you can, they're nothing to be, they're nothing to mess with. They're, they're basically a, they're a falsehood. Okay. They really are. All right. Because when you start looking at what your average return, most people will say, oh, 
I averaged a 10% return last year. So if you had $100,000, right, you get 10% of that, you have $110,000. Well, no, not necessarily, because if you lost 10% the first month and then lost 5% the second month and then gained 3%, right, and then you go through this whole thing, at the end of the year, you don't actually have $110,000. You might have had a 10% return, right? month over month. But when you look at how much money you actually brought in, you actually only brought in 7,000, right? Like they, they do these little gimmicks and stuff to make the numbers look better than they are. As a trader for myself, I do usually between three and 5% a month. That's me by myself. And that's a much smaller account. When you have these huge funds that are moving millions of dollars in and out of positions, it takes them weeks to establish a position. Weeks. It's a very, very long time, all right? And so most of them, they put out these ungodly, insane numbers, and that's what they are. They're just crap. So the easiest, simplest way to do it, man, is just a simple low-fee uh, index fund. Vanguard, I mean, they, they really are good. They really are. I'm, I'm going to be setting up one with them myself. Um, here in the near future. Like I said, I do all my own stuff right now because I am a trader myself. Um, I used to actually teach it. I don't teach it anymore. Um, that was my first business that I had a long time ago. But it, like I said, man, don't don't let all of the, the nonsense and stuff confuse you because that's what a lot of people, that's what they they let happen to them. And, and that most of it's just noise. It's like, it's, it's the news, right? Look at the news, the regular news just in the world today. It's all crazy and nonsense, right? And that's what happens in the financial markets. You got all these people coming out, right? You, you got the Jim Cramers, right? And the, the fast money people in CNBC and they're saying all this stuff and this is the hot stock and this is the hot pick and get this and buy this and sell this and make money is... At the end of the day, man, if, what you want is you want a return. And more importantly, you want not to lose. The best way, the number one way to tell whether or not someone is legit, like if you're talking about like giving money to a money manager or something like that, if their first answer is how much they, they earn, how much they've gained, nine times out of 10, that person is a fraud. Your number one concern should always be your risk, minimizing your risk. If somebody says, hey man, I average a 10% return on the year, then you say, okay, but what's your downside risk? And they're like, oh, 20%. You don't want to be with that person. You want to be with the person who's like, hey, man, I average 7% return on the year, but my downside risk is 2%. That's the person you want to be with. Because that person is making sure that you're not losing. That's where the, that's where the real wealth is accrued, right? The Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, all those people are just and you know enough money to, to buy countries right they, like they they their gdp is 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 greater than than most countries on the planet right like those guys they're far more concerned about their risk they want to minimize risk they're not looking for home runs now granted they've already got the money but even you know your average savvy investor they're concerned about risk it's always more important for risk so Take a look at that stuff, man. That should help you, hopefully. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of people out there who know what they're talking about, man. You just got to find them. I mean, you just got to do some research, all right? Just just, just, just do that. Uh, it's, it's one of those topics where, you know, and, you know, don't go to your bank and be like, can I get a CD? I mean, you might as well just like stuff, stuff your money under a mattress or something like that. You just you don't do that. But like I said, man, I am not a licensed um, 
professional, you know, I, 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 I was a financial consultant when I did insurance and, you know, that type of stuff, investment type stuff. Um, and I'm a, a self-taught trader, so I'm not, not on the desk over at Goldman Sachs. Okay. So, so take that with a grain of salt or do with it what you will. But anyways, you guys, little, little bit of a different end to, to the show. But like I said, that was the only, only question that we got that I could use in the Ask Tommy segment. But anyways, that's going to do it all for today's show. Now, really quick, please, if you like it, you know what to do, share it, get it out there. And hopefully in a couple of weeks, We'll be doing my wrap up. Like I said, I'm gonna try to get my man Keith back on. And then um, after we wrap up these race seasons, I've got a really cool say, a really cool uh, thing planned that I'm gonna be doing um, through the winter. And we're gonna be taking some deep dives into some different drivers uh, on a series I'm gonna be calling the the uh, Alphas of Dirt or Legends of Legends of the Oval. I haven't figured out what I'm gonna call it yet, but we're gonna be actually breaking down and looking at certain drivers and stuff like that. You know, really kind of the legends of it of of racing, right? Those people that we talk about all the time, and yeah, you know, the Foyts, the Andrettis, the the Schumachers, the Earnhardts, the Petties, the you know, the Jack Hewitts, the you know, the 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 Kinsers, the Studs, right? The the guys who were who are the living legends. Some of them aren't living anymore, but the the legends of the sport that we that we all love. So. We're going to be doing some of those episodes. It'll be really cool. It'll be a little bit different than what we got going on right now with all this, all the racing stuff happening and everything, but that'll do it all for today's show. And as always, thank you very much for joining me. And until next time, take care.